Hello, and welcome back to A Reason for Hope. I'm your host, Mario Costabile, and this is a deep dive into our faith and our Catholic Church. We're involved in many forms of media here at Array of Hope, such as films, music, and events, but this is a little different for us. It's an opportunity for us to share the things we all think about, but really never get a chance to discuss. Our discussion today is about families and how do we keep our families Catholic? Well, how do we keep our families Catholic? Well, I have to say, it's not an easy task. With the media strongly influencing our young people, in many cases, adults as well, keeping our families authentically Catholic has become increasingly challenging. For most of us, our families are the most important things in our lives, right? Yet, generally speaking, we seem to have become lax about fighting for their salvation. I mean, look, that's the bottom line, right? When everything is peeled away, the most important role we have as parents is to get our spouse and our children to heaven. Why has this sense of urgency been diluted? Well, we're going to find out about that in this episode of A Reason for Hope. Our guest today is Dr. Ray Garendi. Dr. Ray is a practicing clinical psychologist and an authority on parenting. So welcome to A Reason for Hope. And here we go. Hey, Dave. Hey. How are you today? I'm doing really good. Thanks. You know, it's uh, it's kind of been Sacrament Central for the High Ducks. Really? Sacrament Central? And Sacraments Central. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, just a little while ago, we had three of our children get confirmed. So that was really exciting. At one time? At one time. Never heard that before. Yeah. Um, How'd our, you do that? Our church uh, will, kids 10 and 11 can can get prepared for confirmation. And actually what they do is they have from kids 10 and 11 whose parents want them to be confirmed and all the way up through young adults and adults. There were there were a range of young ki- younger kids, preteens, teenagers, and adults getting confirmed all at the same time. Wow. Really, it was beautiful. It's great. Yeah. And I know there was another huge event in your family and uh yeah, full of big events, right? I know. Well, that's what I mean. Sacrament Central. My daughter Emily oh, now I got, got it. married. <laughs> now I see. So, okay, yeah. I thought because it was multiple sacraments, multiple yeah. kids having. Emily got confirmed. married on the feast of Saint John Paul II. Um, if you beautiful, it's awesome. Um, so we were really excited about that. Uh, her her husband John is beautiful, uh, wonderful guy. Um, it was a real grace. Uh, the wedding was was amazing. And it's so good to see uh, two young people like them who just understand what God's plan for for marriage and family is and who want that for themselves um, and want to live that. And so it just changes it when they're coming to the the sacrament that way, you know? And so it was beautiful to witness. They're, they're great. Actually, uh, Emily was the confirmation sponsor of two of the kids, and John was the confirmation sponsor of another one of the kids who got confirmed. So that wow. was—it's been busy for them too. <laughs> it really was a sacramental center over yeah, there at yeah. the uh, 
Heidek family, yeah. right? Yeah. That's wonderful, great. Dave. Congratulations. Thanks. So our topic today is raising a Catholic family. And our guest is well-known Catholic psychologist, family therapist, and speaker, Dr. Ray Gorendi. So he's had shows on EWTN, and his books have blessed so many, including myself. I love his books and love a lot of stuff that he's done on EWTN. So with that said, what should parents do to raise a family Catholic? You know, um, or maybe better said, uh, what is their responsibility in this regard? Okay, well, um, up front, maybe we can look to the promises that are made when um, a couple gets married. When a man and woman get married in the church, they have to make vows to God before they make the vows to each other. Uh, sometimes this is called declaring consent. There's some questions that get asked of them. So the, the first question that gets asked is, have you come here freely and without reservation to give yourself to one another in holy matrimony? The second question is, uh, will you honor one another as husband and wife as long as you both shall live? And the third question is, will you accept children lovingly as from God? and raise them according to the law of Christ and his church. Now, these are effectively promises that are being made by the couple because when they're declaring consent, what they're saying is that they understand what they're getting into when they're exchanging vows with each other. And they have to answer these questions in the affirmative. Um, otherwise, they can't go on to exchange vows. In fact, uh, if a couple were to to not accept any of these, they couldn't get married in the church. Um, and that's always something that people are surprised by, that like, you know, if you don't say that you're going to be open to life, um, if you, as a couple, say, no, we don't ever plan to have children, that's different than like, you know, for some reason or another, the couple's unable to have children, you know, through some physical difficulties or the like. But like, if they outright exclude children from their marriage, the church will not marry them. Right. Um, but I think that the thing that you can see here is that immediately couples are making a promise that not only they're going to be open to life, but they're going to raise their kids to know Jesus Christ and obey the law of Christ in the church, which obviously is going to involve making sure they receive the sacraments, um, making sure they're teaching them about what the truths of the church are, um, making sure that they're keeping God's commandments and the precepts of the church. So when they get married, they're promising this stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how much couples are thinking about that, um, that that's a vow they're making when they make the vows to one another. Probably not. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I would say you're probably right, you know? And that's why when I would do uh, marriage preparation, I'd always really emphasize, emphasize these questions because yeah. I think you could just spend all your time talking about these questions and then what their vows to one another means in light of them. And that would be the catechesis that they would need. Right. Um, but another thing that we could look at is the exhortation to parents when they bring a child to be baptized because there are more vows here, you know, like, and, and I also don't think people typically listen to what's being said or what they're, you know, signing on to here either. So like when they present the child for baptism, for example, and I'm going to read this because it's actually right out of the right. Mm -hmm. When they present the child for baptism, they're told, you have asked to have your child baptized. In doing so, you are accepting the responsibility of training him in the practice of the faith. 
It will be your duty to bring him up to keep God's commandments as Christ taught us by loving God and our neighbor. Do you clearly understand what you are undertaking? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, uh, you know, like they get asked directly and they say yes. Mm -hmm. Like, but I don't always know if when they say yes, they clearly understand what they're undertaking. And then one of the prayers, they do like the intercessions. And one of the prayers is this. Make the lives of his or her parents, whoever, if it's a boy or a girl getting baptized, make the lives of his or her parents and godparents examples of faith to inspire this child. Mm. They actually pray for the parents and the godparents to be examples of faith that are inspirational. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just before the child is baptized, this is great. Dear parents and godparents, you have come here to present this child for baptism. By water and the Holy Spirit, he is to receive the gift of new life from God who is love. On your part, you must make it your constant care to bring him up in the practice of the faith. See that the divine life which God gives him is kept safe from the poison of sin to grow always stronger in his heart. If your faith makes you ready to accept this responsibility, renew now the vows of your own baptism, reject sin, profess your faith in Christ Jesus. This is the faith of the church. This is the faith in which this child is about to be baptized. So right there, you there's this whole bit about like what you're supposed to do. It's supposed to be your constant care to bring them up in the practice of the faith. You're supposed to see that the divine life they're receiving is kept safe from the poison of sin. So in other words, you're supposed to help your kids not sin. You're supposed to help them create an, you're supposed to create an environment and help them create a life in which they're avoiding sin. Mm -hmm. So then like after the child is baptized, when they're, when the child is clothed with the white garment, this is said to the child, you have become a new creation and have clothed yourself in Christ. See in this white garment, the outward sign of your Christian dignity with your family and friends to help you by word and example, bring that dignity unstained into the everlasting life of heaven. So we're supposed to help them by our words and example, get to heaven. You know, to, that, that, that garment of purity is unstained. And then when the candle's lit from the Easter candle, you know, it's usually given to the Godfather, but mm-hmm. really it, the Godfather's receiving it on behalf of the parents and godparents. This exhortation is given. Parents and godparents, this light is entrusted to you to be kept burning brightly. This child of yours has been enlightened by Christ. He is to walk always as a child of the light. May he keep the flame of faith alive in his heart. And when the Lord comes, may he go out to meet him and all the saints in the heavenly kingdom. So what responsibility... um, do the parents and godparents have? I mean, I think it's kind of pretty clear. Um, you know, you've got basically um, four things that I think we can sum up. One, they're supposed to make it their constant care to train the child in the practice of the faith, including receiving the sacraments, going to mass every Sunday and praying together, catechizing them, etc., and to bring them up to keep God's commandments as Christ taught us by loving God and our neighbor. Two, to see that the divine life which God gives them is kept safe from the poison of sin and grows always stronger in their hearts. And by the way, this means, Mm. like I said, we've got to create an environment that safeguards it. We've got to be mindful of what's influencing our kids, their friends, tech, et cetera. Three, be examples of faith that inspire their children's faith. 
That's what parents are supposed to be. And then lastly, to see that they walk as, a ch- as children of the light. Keep the flame of faith alive and get to heaven. We're supposed to help our kids get to heaven. That's uh, so. That's incredible. Wow. I didn't. I don't think a lot of parents really pay attention to all that stuff when that is actually happening. Yeah. For, um, you know, they're worried about I, a million things. But I know parents. Next. But I know parents that have really make an effort to uh, to try to follow those steps and to try to guide their kids uh, to heaven and and raising their kids Catholic is their number one priority, uh, and yet. Uh, their kids, as they get older, you know, wander, go astray, uh, and 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 uh, do not practice their Catholic faith. And I know uh, that's a great suffering to some parents, and, and sometimes they feel guilt and shame. Um, I mean, what do you what do you what do you say to them? Yeah, so I would say actually, I think first off, that um, they're not alone. Mm. I think it's very easy to feel like you're alone when that happens. And I also think you mentioned the the guilt and the shame. I think that keeps parents like really quiet about it. And so people don't know who it is that's suffering in this way, where if you could just kind of ease the guilt and shame a little bit and share the fact, you know, with other faithful people that you're experiencing this, what you'd probably hear is, me too. Mm. And there's something really beautiful that can happen there. There's an opportunity to mutually encourage one another, to comfort each other. You know, I think that that's really needed um, because, honestly, it's tough. It's tough. Um, I can tell you from my own experience that, like, I, when we started raising our kids and we were very intentional about how we raise our kids, we would never have guessed that the world would be where it is today, that there would be such hostility to Christian values, to traditional Christian beliefs, uh, that the world would become as seductive as it is. Mm. We didn't have any clue about what would happen with social media and the influence that that would have on people. You know, like, so when you're raising your kids intentionally and then the world shifts, you know, like, and that that can really gobble up some kids. And... um, and so I think that, like, you know, a lot of parents are feeling that and need to be encouraged. So I would say, you know, don't, don't try as best you can not to allow that guilt and shame to paralyze you because you're not alone and, and be willing to talk about it. Hmm. The other uh, thing that I would say is to uh, understand that you vowed to raise your kids Catholic. You vowed to teach them the faith, to get them the sacraments. You vowed to teach them about God's commandments and the precepts of the church. And you vowed to be an example of that. If you've done that, then you didn't vow outcomes. You know, you didn't say, there's nothing in any of that that's like God calling you to be successful. And if you fail, there's, you know, something wrong with what you did. I think it's attributed to um, Mother Teresa, like that God doesn't ask us to be successful. He asks us to be faithful. Mm. And so parents are faithful when they do what they've done. But that doesn't mean that it's going to come out all right for all the kids. Um, and as much as that's a suffering, I think what has to happen now is that that suffering's got to be turned around. Now it's like, okay, now I can make 
I can do penance and make reparation for my children. I can pray harder than I've ever prayed before mm-hmm. for my children. And, I, and that's where the, the ministry of parenthood like shifts a little bit um, to, to almost like a, a greater attachment to Jesus on the cross and his passion mm-hmm. by sharing that for your own kids. Um, but you, what you shouldn't do is allow it to like kind of consume you, you. Yeah, beat you up. Yeah. And you beat yourself up as yeah. if like, if I've only said this other thing, if I only did this a little bit differently, or if I was only a little bit more zealous here, if I only didn't work as much or whatever, you know, the case may be, because yeah. can, you can just yeah. spin in that, Yeah, yeah. you know? So I think that you need to be careful and guard mm-hmm. against that. Yeah. Um, your kids are going to make their choices. You know, uh, one of the classes that I teach is on the scriptures. And what you realize from the beginning is that, man, this whole thing about like families being split apart between who goes the way of the world and who goes the way of God, it's right from the beginning. I mean, you got Cain, you got Abel, right? And then after Abel gets killed by Cain, you've got Seth. And then you've got the the good line kind of happening through Seth. And you got like the bad line kind of happening through Cain, right? And then, then it gets all mixed up. And you can see this right within families throughout the scripture that families become divided and some kids are faithful and some kids are not. And, and so I just, I guess, you know, we should, if, if we have a circumstance where our kids are all faithful, I think it's like just an extra special grace. I think the, the typical way is that you're going to have division, you know, and that's the story of salvation history. Mm-hmm. So maybe... Maybe the mistake is being surprised when it happens to us. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, also, um, you know, uh, they have their own sort of journey and plan as you and I have. You know, I wasn't always as faithful right. as, as I am now. So you don't know what God's plan is for our kids. And you'd said it, prayer is important. So, uh, you know, I pray to St. Monica, you know, every day yeah. for my kids, you know, and St. Ambrose and St. Augustine, you know, uh, and St. Monica was— uh, you know, uh, Augustine's mom who prayed for him for what, 15, 20 years that he was so far away from the faith, but she was faithful. So uh, as you said, as parents, you know, our relationship and and, uh, our role changes as we get older. And I think the most devout thing that we could do as parents is to pray. Right. And never lose hope, I think, right. in the exactly. midst of that. That's exactly. what's really hard because it's exactly. easy to kind of just lose That's hope. Right. But like I think that you 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 trust that if you're pouring yourself out to God, that God's going to hear the cries of your heart, that God's going to hear your prayers, that God's going to honor that. And I think it was like Ambrose said to St. Monica that that a woman who shed such tears over her son, God will not you know, say no mm. to with regards to the conversion of her son. Yeah. So uh, I think we just have to trust that. Now, of course, the, the, the catch is we may not be alive on earth right. to see that. Well, so, you know, we got we to gotta keep, as the scriptures say, hoping beyond hope. Right. You know, and when things seem hopeless, that's when we have to will ourselves to hope. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be a feeling. It's going to be an act of our will. Right. That's where the virtue of patience comes in, right? Mm. As a parent, we just have to be patient and trust God, right? Amen. Amen. Great discussion, Dave. Thanks. Hey, guys. What's going on? It's Alanis with Who's That Saint, where I'll give you three clues on a secret, mysterious saint for you guys to guess before the big reveal. Who's that saint? Do you think you have enough saint knowledge to figure out which saint I'm hinting at? I guess we'll find out. 
Let's start off with clue number one. This saint was born into a very wealthy family in the year 1858. So they were raised by parents who really did a good job at teaching their kids that their wealth should be used for the benefit of others. And so by the end of the saint's life, she gave approximately, uh, give or take $20 million to help people in need. So we've got ourselves a pretty generous saint. I'm not sure how much that'll narrow down the pool of saints for you, but do you have any idea who this saint is? Clue number two, this saint lived during a time when indigenous peoples suffered great injustice, which sparked her devotion to serving those across the country who faced difficulties. She used the money from her inheritance to devote her life's work to this mission, which led her to become a religious sister and eventually the founder of her own order. So there you go. We gave you a gender clue there. So who is this female saint? And finally, clue number three, this saint is one of 11 American saints. So she was born in the city of brotherly love, none other than Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, represent. So with these three clues, do you think you know who this saint is? If you guess St. Catherine Drexel, then you're correct. I'd consider St. Catherine Drexel to be a decently modern day saint. You know, she was canonized in the year 2000 by Pope John Paul II. Following the sudden death of her father, her sisters took her on a trip to Europe to help her overcome her grief. But while they were there, St. Catherine met with Pope Leo XIII, no big deal. And that meeting resulted in the course of her life being absolutely changed. Soon after, she became a religious sister and founded the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament. And she devoted the rest of her life's work to African and Native American groups. She is recognized as the patron saint of racial justice and philanthropists. St. Catherine Drexel, pray for us. Hey everyone, this is Jack, back with another Music Corner. We're so blessed to be joined by Dr. Ray Garendi on this episode as we discuss the joys and struggles of raising a Catholic family. Surely we live in a world that doesn't always foster the development of the domestic church, but scripture reminds us that God's grace is always there to triumph over the world. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 9, the Lord says, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfect in weakness. And in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. So we just have to seek, to ask, and to knock on the door for God's grace. I'm also reminded of St. Mother Teresa's mystical visions of the Blessed Virgin Mary in 1947. It is said that our Blessed Mother revealed to her, Fear not, teach them to say the rosary, the family rosary, and all will be well. Fear not, Jesus and I will be with you and your children. And so, through song, let us invoke the most powerful intercession of our Queen, our Mediatrix, our Sovereign Mother, Mary, for the protection and strengthening of our Catholic families. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you.
Dr. Ray Garendi is a practicing clinical psychologist and an authority on parenting. He is also an author, professional speaker, and a national radio and television host. His radio show, The Doctor Is In, can be heard on over 440 stations and Sirius XM Channel 130. His TV show, Living Right with Dr. Ray, can be seen on EWTN's Global Catholic Network and is aired in 140 countries. Dr. Garendi is an advocate for common sense approaches to child rearing and discipline issues. Let's welcome Dr. Garendi. So here we are with Dr. Ray. We have Dr. Ray in the house. Tell me a little bit about yourself. I know that you're Italian, as I. Uh, were you brought up Catholic? Uh, were you raised in a Catholic family? Uh, your parents, et cetera. Tell me what it was like to be a young Dr. Ray. I was brought up Catholic in Canton, Ohio, home of Mother Angelica. Wow. I went to St. Anthony's Parish, the parish of Rita Rizzo, Mother Angelica. Okay. My dad went to high school with her. Wow. I learned about her long before she became Mother Angelica through Rhoda Wise. I left the Catholic Church in my 30s, went out into the evangelical world, became very, very confused about mm. Christianity. So I have a talk that I call The Logic of Being Catholic and How Reason and Evidence Brought Me Back to the Catholic Church. Well, what do you, what do you mean you went out into the evangelical world? You mean our uh, brothers and sisters, evangelical brothers and sisters, you spent some time there and not other denominational uh, Christian faiths? Eight years I was out there. Ah. I was a I was a new atheist. See, the old atheist Mario makes sense. The old atheists say there's no God, therefore I can do what I want. Mm. The new atheist is much more dangerous. The new atheist says there is a God, but he thinks like me. <laughs> and that's what I was. I went into the evangelical world. God's God, Christ is Christ. I'm gonna go where I'm comfortable. And then three to four years into the evangelical world, I got very confused because the system doesn't work. Well, this is this is really interesting um, because I think, uh, uh, to be honest, you know, a lot of uh, people are leaving the Catholic Church because they have felt like you did when you were maybe in your early 30s, and they're looking elsewhere to be filled, and and they're going to our evangelical brothers and sisters and finding that fulfillment. Uh, but maybe you could kind of share. Uh, well, what brought you back? You know, what what was the yearning that you were desiring that kind of brought you back to the Catholic Church? First step was that I was educated as an engineer early in college, mm. and I knew there was reality. There was truth. I couldn't just agree to disagree like I heard so much in the evangelical world. If Christ came, he came with truth, and his teaching was coherent. It made sense. As I got deeper and deeper into the evangelical world, and Mario, I was deep. I was three to four Bible studies a week. I had a prison ministry. As I became more and more conversant with the evangelical world, I started having all kinds of troubles logically. Mm. It makes sense logically. The system, not the people. There's a lot of good Christians there. Amen. Yes. But the, the system itself. And I said to the Catholic Church, okay, what do you have to say about this? I wasn't hostile to the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. I wasn't rejecting her. But I looked at her and said, okay, make your case. And I studied for three to four years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tapes and books and magazine articles and apologetics because I wanted to know, mm. did 
Christ establish a church or did he not? Right. Right. Did he establish a Bible for us to all read and interpret it our own way? So and thank you, God he let me scratch and claw my way back. So you you, you kind of saw the flaws, you saw the the gaps, and, and those gaps didn't make sense to you. And and uh, when you started searching, you, you gravitated back to the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church kind of filled those gaps for you in, in really developing your intellect and understanding God better. Is that is that pretty pretty much what you're saying? As I tell people. If you have two systems, make it simple, Protestant, Catholic, how do you know which one is true? Mm. First question you ask, which system is coherent within itself and which system contradicts itself mm. in its main principles? And I found many contradictions within the evangelical world. Wow. Wow. Well, um, so when you came back uh, to the Catholic Church— uh, I'm sure it felt like home again. Uh, was there, can you explain uh, maybe the moment that you fell back in love with Christ? You felt him, you had a sense of re euphoria and feeling the presence of the Lord. Was it during an incident? Was it a retreat? Was it uh, uh, in front of adoration? You know, what, what, you know, what was it like? Many people have emotional experiences. Many people say, I know him because I experience him, mm. because I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. That was not me, Mario. Uh, for good or bad, I'm an exploring logical type. And I looked at the evidence and ever so slowly I came back. I started going to mass. At the same time, I was attending evangelical Bible studies. So I was doing both. I'd go to the mass in the morning, evangelical service later with my wife because she was evangelical. Oh, wow. And at, at one point, I finally said, I'm, I'm going to confession. I'm going back to the Catholic Church, not because that's how I was raised, but because I am absolutely convinced mm. logically, historically, and scripturally, she is exactly who she said she is and who Christ gave to us. Wow. Is, has your wife uh, converted to Catholicism? or She's a better Catholic than I am. And I told her, I said, one of the reasons you came back, honey, was because of me. She said, yeah, you're right, Ray, but it took me a lot longer because of you. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So really, you know, uh, the Lord worked on your heart and through going to Mass and receiving the Eucharist, through you receiving those graces and your intellect just... Uh, showed you the truth it seems that that's uh... let me let me show you how god is infinitely smarter than we are mario tell me during that period i begged him mm. i want to know the truth please open my eyes to the truth and nothing was happening well he knew generally how i tend to approach problems so he knew i was going to dive into this and try to understand why my church is who she as she says she is at that time, I was not in Catholic media at all. I was in secular media. I spoke around the country to secular groups. Uh, about 10% of what I did was Catholic, but that was only because it was another group of many. Mm. So he made me, I believe, dive into this so that when I do the radio show, when I do the TV show and somebody objects to something in the Catholic church teaching morality, I want to say, you know, I wrestled with that one myself. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you what I learned. 
Beautiful. Otherwise, if he would have just given it to me and then they'd ask me, I'd say, well, yeah, um, um, oh, because my grandma, my grandma always told me we pray Hail Marys and, and you know, that's a nice prayer and I think that's good. Okay, next question. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, it's important as Catholics to be able to um, uh, show the proof, discuss it with clarity and integrity and, and, and honesty with so people can be convicted and, and can people understand that uh, rationally the Catholic Church is the truth and, and, and the beauty that Christ spoke. When my grandmother came from Italy, she was eight years old, settled in Canton, Ohio, went to St. Anthony's. If the priest said it, that's the way it was. Mm. You didn't need a why. You didn't need to question it. The priest said it. He spoke for God. Mm. Those days, Mario, are gone yeah. among our young people. Yeah. Our young people are leaving the church in droves mm -hmm. because the vast majority of them do not know why. And many of their parents are not able to tell them why. Yeah. So the kids just either leave everything or they go someplace where they're much more comfortable. Yeah. Hey, if you're enjoying this interview, be sure to check out the full video version on the Array of Hope channel. Subscribe for free at watch.arrayofhope.net. Then download the app by searching Array of Hope on your mobile device, Apple TV, or Roku. Yeah, it's, uh, there is uh, a tragedy going on in our church that uh, we're certainly undercatechized, right, and malformed. It's something that we really need to work on as a church. Um, but you're well known and respected as a, a psychologist, and it seems that that field of psychology itself has become very polarized and given into false views of the person, of sexuality and gender, uh, and the family. Uh, can you comment on that? Because it's hard for people, and especially parents, to know, you know who to trust and what to trust. My very first book was titled, You're a Better Parent Than You Think. I was 31 years old. I attempted to put together a manuscript to sell it to New York. No way, no how, Mario, was anybody going to publish a book from some guy that worked at a mental health center in Lisbon, Ohio, with a big major publisher. They took the book. The reason they took the book was because of its premise. The premise was this. Why are parents so insecure so second-guessing, so lacking authority, so unsure of themselves, so tentative in being parents in their own home. That was the premise of the book. Now, apparently, that registered with some of the editors at that big publishing house. Ever since then, I have kind of made a living out of saying, one, the parent is the parent in your home, and if you want to raise a child to love the Lord and seek him, you're going to be countercultural. One. Two, it isn't just parenting anymore. Now it's marriage. Now it's sexuality. Now it is political views. Now it is morality. So, so much of psychology. I wrote a book recently called Jesus, the Master Psychologist. And in the book, I talked about where Jesus is saying things that psychology 2,000 years later has finally come to realize or where Jesus is saying things that collide directly with modern psychology. And I think in a lot of respects, many of the questions I get, Mario, are the challenges 
that modern psychology presents to religion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just going to ask you a question about that uh, that book. That that's an amazing book. Uh, you also wrote many books on just marriage and family. And uh, how would you recommend to our listeners and viewers, you know, how do we keep our marriages Catholic uh, in a culture that is uh, pushing us away from a Catholic marriage? Uh, and or um, how do we raise our kids Catholic in, in a culture that is really void of God and, and making God almost being an outcast in, in everyday existence? How do you do that? Regarding the kids, Mario, first thing you recognize is that there are no guarantees. Many parents nowadays have raised their children and watched them leave the faith. They've watched them drift. They've watched them reject. And the parents beat themselves up. Where yeah. did we go wrong? Right. You know, I prayed the rosary in Aramaic while I levitated a broken glass. You know, what <laughs> happened here? Yeah. This is, a, this is an exercise, Mario, that I use if you have parents listening and who are beating themselves up because their kids have drifted and they feel like they're at fault. They fell short. It's an exercise I use. You help me out with this. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Would you just answer yes or no? Are you ready? Are you asking me or listeners? Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm with you. you. I'm ready. Okay. Is there a God? Yes. Is Christ God? Yes. Was he sinless? Yes. Could he perform miracles? Yes. Did he have a perfect understanding of human nature? Yes. Could he get most people to follow him? No. Of course not. He was killed. No. He got, he had a small band. Right. And I always say to these parents, so what you're telling me is you think you're better at this than the God man. Mm. You, you think you have the spiritual formula to guarantee in this culture, this is not a farm in 1880 anymore. The guarantee in this culture that those kids are going to embrace the faith that you taught them. The Lord asked you, to teach them as best you could, which includes loving them like crazy, disciplining strong, and Mario, here's the big one. Too many faith-filled parents allow the culture to shape their children way too early. The average age of a smartphone right now, you wanna take a guess at what it is? Someone who owns a smartphone, you mean? Probably yep. uh, seven, six. Well, you're a little low. It's nine or ten. Okay. So you're <laughs> I've putting, seen some, some, some kindergartners oh, walk in with that's phones. That's true. Yeah. You're putting the whole world, the internet, with all of its good yes. and bad and sewage, yeah. Yeah. into the hands of a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old. Yeah. And you're saying, don't be attracted by it. Remember what I'm trying to teach you. This is lunacy, but yet almost every parent who calls me, good, good Catholic parents, they'll say to me, I can't believe my son, my son's, my son's telling me he doesn't believe in God anymore. My, my daughter, my daughter says she's transgender. I, you know what else happened? I found pornography on his phone. Oh, my 12 year old is now in love with this boy at school. And the first question I ask him is, when did they get their smartphone? Mm. 95% of them said, oh, yeah, they, they've had it for quite a while. He said, you invited it into your home in the fastest way. There's other ways, but that's the fastest. So just being preventive, being smart, you know, um, I tell you. It, Taking it, it slower. Yeah, 
it's uh, it takes a lot of courage uh, as a parent because uh, everybody you know uh, is doing it. You know, so when they're when the young children see it, that my friends have got a phone, or my friends are allowed to watch this, so they can listen to that music, or they can go to that movie. Uh, the pressure uh, the pressure's on to the parents, and they usually succumb to that. Um, they how, do. You know, how can we encourage parents to, um, you know, have enough strength to say no, to be to to ha- have enough love uh, in them to overcome? Uh, you know, what the culture is made normal, really. Parents will ask me, can you be too strict? Mm. Can you be too countercultural? And I'll say it's very hard to be too strict in the context of love. Mm. When that kid knows you love him like nobody's business, you are affectionate. And I'm saying this to your dads, Mario, you're Italian, I'm Italian. You know, dads, Italian dads are very affectionate. Mm -hmm. I used to kiss my son right before his basketball games, right on the court, (laughs) right in front of his friends. And no kid of mine's going to tell me his old man can't kiss him. Mm -hmm. So you know what it means when you get kissed in Italian too. You know that. So given that one love, secondly, you cannot be afraid yeah. That they're going to resent you. So many parents are so afraid my kid's going to resent me. My kid is going to rebel. My kid is going to get sneaky. My kid is going to hate church. If I make him go to church, you can't be afraid of that. And then a final point. If your kids go bad or they drift, you want to be able to say they had to go over top of me. It wasn't because I stepped aside. Hmm. That's, uh, I know that uh, a lot of my uh, friends who have kids uh, that are struggling, you know, that uh, they've got families of their own uh, and they see that they're not raising their kids Catholic or they're not even introducing God into their families. It's a heartbreak. It really is. Um, What would you recommend to uh, these families, these parents that see the next generation of children, uh, their kids, raising their kids in a way that's very different than the way they were raised, uh, in a sense, rejecting everything that they were brought up in, you know, a a house of faith, a house of that uh, loved and and worshiped the Lord? How would you recommend, uh, what would you recommend to, uh, per se, grandparents or people that witness their kids doing, living that kind of way? You used a powerful word. You said the kids reject. Rejecting is different from drifting. It's different from apathy. So if they reject, typically, Mario, I will tell parents, read the signals. Quit pounding away at it. Quit trying to preach. Quit trying to bring up the discussion. Because when it's clear that they don't want to hear this and you're just making them angry. You got to know to back off. My wife and I have a very simple rule. Our 10 kids are all grown now. Some of them very much have embraced the faith. Some of them are skittering around the edges. I always tell people, I got one kid going to go to Penn state, one gone to state Penn. So (laughs) given that we shut our mouths, we do not say anything unless we are asked or unless a moral topic comes up at the table, then we'll defend our faith and our church. But we don't push and push, especially if you get, if you get feedback that you're, you're making me angry. And Mario, I can't tell you how many in-laws have cut in-law parents off from the grandkids mm. because they are upset and, and angry 
that the grandkids, the kids are not letting it go. Now, if it's not a rejection, if it's a drift, if it's kind of, I don't know, I'm a little lazy about it. Yeah, I still believe, but, but not like you believe mom and dad. Okay. That's your right. thing, mom and dad. Right. That's right. Then I think you have, you have to be prepared to be able to explain. You just do. It's kind of like the 15 year old again. These are kids who, as much as you thought they embraced and understood the faith, they didn't. They didn't. Very few people leave the Catholic church because they fully understand her. They leave because they don't, or they leave because they disagree with her, especially morally and sexually. That's the big one. I always say to people, most people leave the Catholic church because it's below the waist. Fornication, contraception, abortion, homosexuality. Mario, when's the last time you heard somebody say, you know why I left that Catholic church? I'll tell you why. Because they say you're not supposed to steal. Do you believe that garbage? <laughs> I don't understand. That's crazy. Right. They say you're not supposed to punch somebody dead in the head. I'm not putting up with that. No, it, it's almost always sexual morality. Yeah. And so the parents have to be prepared to explain it as best you can if the child is, is open not only to you talking to them, but my wife and I slip different things to the kids here and there. Maybe they read them, maybe they don't, but they're there. Hmm. I think that's a really good point. I think that when I um, uh, commiserate with uh, fellow uh, parents and grandparents, uh, often they'll complain about what we just talked about, but they're not prepared to defend the faith or explain certain things that they yeah. are distinct, distancing themselves from the faith in the first place. So I see clearly that why don't you, you know, as a parent or a grandparent, you know, brush up on your own theology, brush up on your own catechesis so you can defend the faith in an intellectual way and uh, provide the truth in a way that's compelling. I think when you do that in a loving way, it's pretty powerful. Wouldn't you say that? The truth is enormously powerful. Mm. And part of what happens a little bit from a shrink's perspective, I see a lot of these young adults who are discontent with life. They're not happy in their marriage, not happy raising their kids, etc. And they don't understand it's because they really left the plumb line of the way God said to do it. But they look at their parents and they think, well, you know, mom and dad, that's how you were raised. That's what you do. You just right. go to church. Right, right. You say your prayers. Okay, that's for you. That's not for me. Got it. And besides that, mom and dad, you know, some of these morals you have regarding abortion. I mean, a woman should have the right to choose. You know that, mom? And, and that's that you're a minority view, mom. So the parents are buffaloed. They're, they're flummoxed because what, what do I say? Right. Right. I, always, I always tell them, when you have a kid who leaves a faith and this kid comes back at you and tells you all that's wrong with the faith or all that's wrong with the way you raised them, instead of defending yourself, be a little bit of a shrink. Mm. Get inside the kid's head. Okay, tell, tell me, what, give me some examples. What, what did I do wrong? Well, you forced me to go to church. Okay. So you believe because I forced you to go to church, that's why you don't go now? Yes. Well, did I force you to eat vegetables? <laughs> yeah. Well, did I force you to go to school? So, so in other words, you kind of get inside their head. You say, right. please tell me, you know, or, the, or the, the young girl who says, I think abortion is fine. And I think you don't push your morals on somebody else. I'll go, Okay. So what is an abortion? You, would you tell me that what you think it is? And then they explain. So, well, is it then a baby? 
Yeah. Well, that depends. Well, that depends upon what? When, what, well, how old it is. Okay. So in your opinion, how old does it have to be before you can't end its life? Well, the, the medical people have to decide that. So are you saying the medical people, you see what I mean? You just yeah. walk them through like a lawyer almost. Yeah, yeah. I want to hear how you think and I want to hear how it goes. I had a friend of mine, we were at a Bible study and he was a staunch evangelical and he was anti-Catholic. So I started asking him questions. Oh, he was getting real defensive and real angry because I was just asking him how he came to those conclusions. On the way home, he told his wife, did I sound as stupid as I think I sounded? Well, that friend's now Catholic. Yeah. Okay. But, but, but in the beginning, he was resistant. And I was just, I wasn't telling him why the Catholic Church is true. I'm just asking him how he got to the conclusions he did. Yeah. It's a great point. I mean, ask questions. Uh, and when ask you find questions. out a little bit more about what their hangups are, keep on asking more questions. And before He's you know it, that's a great technique. I've used it in the past myself because you indirectly are directing them to the truth by the very questions you're asking because their logic will say, oh, I never thought of it that way. It's a great, great point, Dr. Ray. That is exactly what it is, Mario. They haven't thought it through. They haven't thought it through. So yeah. much of the way they think is just a cliche. Somebody walks into my office and they tell me a bunch of nonsense. My first goal is to understand their nonsense. I can't dispute their nonsense right off the bat because if I did that, they'd walk out. Right. So I have to sit and, and no one's going to listen, right? Inside their head. Yeah. No, no one, they wouldn't. That's no, right. No one's going to listen to it. If you want to yeah. make someone defensive, just tell them what not to do. You know, and, and someone they they shut down mentally, physically, the body language will tell you right away. Right. Tell them how they're wrong. Tell them how they're wrong, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. You're going nowhere. It's great. It's a great point. And I, I think uh, the, the the what I can kind of conclude from our discussion here for a parent that is dismayed or hurt or confused as to why their child is leaving, you know, really it, it's an opportunity for them to go a little bit deeper in the faith to really understand it so they can really share the faith in a way that it is convicting and makes the makes the person think. I think that's really good advice. That Very we give. well summarized. You know, one thing that I've learned, uh, even in my own life with my wife, is that, you know, prayer is important. We have to pray for our kids, right? We have to fast for our kids. And maybe I, I'd like to see what your perspective is when when we are essentially uh, unable to uh, engage uh, to a level that will invoke change in someone else's life. We have to stand back, like you had said, chill out a little bit, but we don't want to be still. We don't want to be just floating in the abyss. And I feel that the way that I've gotten my own personal release is just to pray, you know, fast for our families, pray for our families, have novenas for our families. How do you do it, Dr. Ray? Well, you know, Mario, the story of St. Monica. Amen. How long did she pray for Augustine? Yeah. Do you know what the bishop said to her? <laughs> he said, talk less to your son about God and talk more to God about your son. That's right. 
summarizes what you said. Yeah. And you know what I found out uh, not too long ago? It was uh, St. Monica's prayers that a St. Ambrose was the one that influenced St. Augustine, right? So pray for St. Ambrose to appear. And that was the person that actually influenced St. Augustine to think more rationally and to pursue, uh, you know, seeking God in a deeper way. Because sometimes you're just not going to listen to your parents, right? Uh, So... uh, I pray to St. Ambrose for my kids to, you know, appear and walk into their lives so they can, you know, influence them and direct them in the right direction. Beautiful thought. Right. Get a little bit of help. Get a little bit of help getting behind you, right? Yeah. I pray to as many saints as I can. Why not? You know, crowd is is always a good plus. Um, Well, this is really great. Uh, We we really barely talked Italian. I was hoping we were going to do a little bit of Italian discourse, maybe ask some questions in Italian. We'll save that for the next interview. Come sigiamo. Come sigiamo. Come sigiamo. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Hey, forget about it. We'll talk like uh, with an Italian uh, Brooklyn accent because that's where I'm from. Um, so is there anything, uh, Dr. Ray, that you want to share with our viewers and our listeners, something that you're promoting? I know you got a new book, uh, that's coming out or just came out. Is there anything you want to share and let people know about? The book is called Living Calm, Mastering Anger and Frustration. And I think it will help you look at yourself and your own thoughts. You know, Mario, people think that anger is an emotion. They think frustration is emotion. They don't realize how much the thoughts influence the anger? How are you looking at things? How are you interpreting things? What are you telling yourself about your irritating mother-in-law? What are you telling yourself about your snotty 14-year-old? What are you doing? They think the emotion is the big thing. Actually, it's the thinking it's the big thing, and you got to get in touch with how you're thinking. And that book, book hits that hard. That's awesome. And uh, from what I understand, it's released through EWTN. Is that right? Yes. Amen. Well, it's a million seller. There's a million in my cellar. <laughs> I'll buy one. <laughs> I'll buy two. Um, oh, we got it. It's in Italian. It's in Italian. Uh, perfect. I need to brush up on my Italian, you know, reading and literature. So this is perfect. I kind of hit two birds with one stone, a little bit of anger management, which is very helpful for all of us, right? And brush up on my Italian. It's great. Good work. Mario, it was so good to see you there uh, in California. It was, it was so great, nice to connect with you. Great to see you too. I hope to see you real soon. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Ray. It's so much fun always uh, sharing the faith with you and, and, and having some fellowship. Thanks. Anytime. So glad you were able to hang with us for this episode. I want to remind you to please share this podcast with others. We need to let everybody know so we can help bring them closer to Christ. We also ask you to prayerfully consider going to our donation page and help us in our work. Just go to our website at arrayofhope.org. Also, join us on social media where it keeps us connected to our faith through our music, our videos, and the many daily reflections that we release. Lots of great stuff to share with you all. We also pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet every day on Instagram at 3 p.m., So please join us as we pray as a universal church. Our guest next time will be Dr. Ben Carson. Holy cow, this is going to be so much fun, so exciting, and extremely informative. So thanks for joining us today. And there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace. Peace.